Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Apostle Paul, as he writes a letter to the Christians in Rome, whom he had never personally met for the most part, says to them, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Now, usually when we run into this verse, we're thinking, for I am not ashamed, and we're challenging ourselves. I ought not be ashamed. I ought to be open, right? I ought to be ready to share the gospel. I'm not ashamed to do this. But man, that's only a small part of what's in that verse. He says the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The power of God. The gospel. So what is it? What is the gospel? What does the word gospel even mean? Well, the word gospel is translated from a Greek word there in the New Testament, euangelion. Uh, And it just very literally means simply a good message. For the, if, if you could go back to Romans 1.16 there, Mitchell. For the good message of Christ, right, is the power of God unto salvation. Now this word euangelion, we get a, a couple of other words you're familiar with. One would be evangelism. It's kind of euangelion, evangelism. Uh, We also get the word evangelical, which gets applied to people today. And really what that that means is evangelism is the telling of this good message. Evangelicals are people who have a good message, okay? And so that's it. The word gospel itself comes from old English word, uh, two parts, God, G-O-D, which is how they said good, and then spell, which means a tale. And so a good tale. And so back when uh, the Bible was being translated into English, they just transliterated that into gospel. Okay? The gospel of Christ. Um, so let's, let's do this. We want to think, what is the gospel? What is this good message then? Let's take our Bibles. And by the way, we're going to be in our Bibles more today than we've been in a long time. Usually I put more of the scripture on the screen, but today we're going to be in it. Uh, the page numbers, if you don't have a Bible of your own, uh, there should, there's one under the chairs there, and each time we want you to turn someplace, the page number will appear with uh, the reference. But let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul really devotes this whole chapter to making the case that Jesus really rose from the dead. But he starts off here in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand. So here's, he says, here's the gospel that I preached. Let's go down to verse number three. And I want you to read out loud with me verses three through eight. So let's begin reading now in verse three. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, Yeah, go ahead and read it out loud with me if you can. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the 12. 
After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. In other words, he, he wasn't there with Jesus when Jesus walked on the earth, but Jesus made a special appearance to Paul and talked with him. And so this is the gospel. Jesus Christ dying for our sins according to the scriptures in fulfillment of the scriptures, buried, rising in the third day as the scriptures had foretold, and he was seen. Historical event. We can go back and establish that this resurrection actually occurred. By the way, I'm going to just take a little side note on here. Be really encouraged that your faith is not based on some person's ideas about how things are supposed to work. It's not based on some religious organization that dictates to us the things that we're supposed to believe. It is based on the fact that the man, Jesus Christ, who we know was the Son of God, died for our sins and rose again from the dead. And we can his, historically go back and document that that resurrection actually happened. And if a man can tell you, I am going to die, that's easy, right? But I am also going to rise three days later. And does it? Maybe we ought to listen to him, right? And so uh, that is the gospel that we have here. And so when we, we hear that and... Um, Consider it, it sounds like, and, and probably if we had asked, what's the gospel today? And you tried to tell us what it was. You would have said, well, the gospel is about Jesus coming and dying for our sins and rising again and that, that we can receive him as Savior, you know, by faith. And, and then that means we don't go to hell, we go to heaven when we die. Okay, we have eternal life. And that's kind of what we think of when we think of gospel. And on the face of it, as we read what Paul says, it kind of sounds like it, right? Christ died for our sins. Christ rose. And, and, um, and that is very true. Very true. And the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, he talks about the gospel of your salvation. Again, making us think salvation. Okay, yes, that's how I get my sins forgiven. And so I can go to heaven when my life is over. But I want to say to you, that when we actually get into what the Bible talks about salvation, salvation is way bigger than that decision you made to receive Christ. Now, that decision you made to receive Christ is huge and changes everything. But it's just a small part of your salvation. And so when he talks about the gospel of your salvation, this good message, this good news about your salvation, it is big too. It's not just about how do I escape the penalty for my sins, although it is about that, all right? So what we're gonna do starting today and for two more weeks is we are going to look at the gospel. And in so doing, look at our salvation, this good message of what it means to be saved. And, and where it's taking us. And so uh, today we're going to focus in, and I'll mention again, but on this idea that I am saved. I can make that statement. I am saved. Uh, April 4th, 1975, sometime between 9 and 10 o'clock at night, I bowed my knees for the Lord and said, okay, God, I get it. I'm a sinner. I'm not saved. I believe and receive Christ as Savior. Changed everything, right? I can say I am saved. But the, and that was an event that took place in my life, right? 
on this timeline. That was an event that took place on, in my life. But I'm still living here today. And, and the Bible also reveals that when we're talking about salvation, it doesn't end here. Okay, not only am I saved, I am being saved, the Bible talks about. And it, it refers to things that way. You say, being saved, what are you talking about? And then there's a sense in which even, even though I have been saved and I'm being saved, there's still a sense when there's, there's something that is going to occur and I can say I will be saved. Now, if you've been around the preaching of the gospel for a long time, you might be saying, hey, wait a minute, Walt. I thought, and I'm even pretty sure, Walt, I've heard you talk about this idea that when you got saved, it was a once and for all forever done deal. Have you ever heard me say anything like that? Okay. So what do you mean? It's not about, oh, something else, you have to keep going and maybe someday, right? Well, it isn't like that. Uh, it is true that this is a once and for all done deal, forever settled. I am saved. And we're going to talk more about that today. But what I want you to see is this. The Bible presents it this way. And that is that I am saved from the penalty of sin. In other words, I had a sin debt. We're going to talk about I owed that sin debt. I could not pay that sin debt. Jesus did pay that sin debt. I received him as Savior. So I am now saved from the penalty of sin. When, it, when my life is over, I have no payment to make. Because Jesus did what? Paid it all. Okay? But I am saved from the penalty of sin and always will be. But now I'm living my life as a Christian. And what I say is this, that I am now being saved from the power of sin. Any, don't, don't raise your hand today. Anybody here ever struggle with sin? And sometimes you feel like, man, is it powerful, right? And so, but God is working in our lives, saving us from that. Learn, we, we learn, we respond. So there's this process of growth where I am being saved from the controlling power of sin. We talk about that every time we do the Lord's Supper. And then finally, there is a sense in which that someday God is going to finish this whole process and I will be saved from the presence of sin. Isn't that going to be nice? I, I, I can't help but think that day that either the Lord returns for us or that day when you, you finally close your eyes and, and your, your spirit and soul leave and go to be with the Lord, that one of the things you're going to notice immediately is there is no weight of sin. We carry a weight of sin all the time and we don't even know it. We aren't aware of it. That will be gone. And so there is this sense in which we have an, an event, an initial event that has eternal consequences, settled forever. But there's just as real a process that we are living where God is saving us. And then one day it's all going to be done. And so today we're going to talk about this one over here, this event. And the truths about it. And then the next week we'll talk about the process. And then the third week we will talk about the future. So we are talking about the gospel, the gospel of your salvation. And today we're going to focus in on this statement or really the message that leads to it. I am saved. I am saved. So let's take the Bibles again and turn to Romans chapter three. Like I said, we're going to have a bunch of scriptures to be turning to today and we don't usually do that, but I just think it's important for us to do it today. And there's, it's always, there's so much more background and verses and things we could teach related to these things. I'm just going to be giving you the core truths 
of this, of the gospel with respect to I am saved. Verse 23, Romans 3, verse 23. says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So three big concepts here. Sin. Sin means that we have done things that God says we ought not to do. It also means that we didn't do things that we ought to have done. It also means that maybe we did some things we were supposed to do, but we did it with the wrong heart attitude. I mean, it's anywhere where we are not living our lives the way God tells us to. And I think that in reality, most of us every day experience that at some point in our day, if we're alert to it and think about it. But so that's what sin is. But then he talks about falling short. We, in other words, we don't measure up. We don't measure up to the glory of God. And the glory of God is talking about God and all his perfection. As for God, his ways are perfect. Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, how, how, um, how many times you got to mess up not to be perfect? Yeah, that's right. Say it a little louder. How many times? Once. That's right. Well, I think I messed that one up a long time ago. And repeatedly affirmed, reaffirmed that. <laughs> this failure is not perfect. So we don't measure up. But what this is telling us is that God has a standard. There's a standard that God has. And his standard is his own moral perfections. Okay? And we all have sinned. And because of that, we all what? Fall short. We can't measure up. Turn over a couple pages to chapter 6. There are consequences for this in our lives. We know that when Adam and Eve sinned in the beginning there in the garden, that it brought the curse of sin on the world. We know that we inherited that tendency toward that, and we've all walked in it. Well, it's, it's earned us something. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 we really don't want to look at the first half, but I'll read the whole thing. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's just focus in on the first half of that. For the wages of sin is death. Did anybody go to work this week expecting to get paid? No, I'm asking honestly. How many of you work and you expect? Uh, why do you expect to get paid? What did you do? You worked, you earned it. Okay, your wages, your salary, however you get paid, you earned that. Well, what has our sin earned us? Well, one of the things it's earned us is physical death. We are all going to die. Okay, that's one of the, the that's part of the curse of sin. So the wages of sin is death. Now, you probably have some friends who say that, uh, you know, there is no God and there is no life after death. You die and you're just gone and dead. It's not true. Turn to the book of Hebrews. Farther toward the back of your Bible. In Hebrews chapter 9. Verse number 27. And it says, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment, and it's going to go on and make another point, which we will probably look at uh, uh, in the next couple of weeks. But this verse 27, as it's appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. There is a judgment 
to be faced. Now let's, let's just think about this already. Here we are, we have sinned, we fall short, we don't measure up, and now we've got to face judgment. That doesn't sound too positive, does it? So let's go to the book of Revelation, right back toward the end of the book. It talks about a judgment. Revelation chapter 20, verse number 11. This is something the apostle John, God gave him a vision of these things, things that were coming in the future. And here we find this terrible judgment. Verse 11, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. Now, why do you think it says that? Why would they flee away? What do you typically run away from? How many of you run away from snakes? How many of you run away like me from spiders? <laughs> we run away from things that are what? Scary, frightening to us. This judgment is a frightening place to be. More fearful than we could imagine. And then he says, and there was found no place for them. There was no place to get away. There was no place to hide. And he says, I saw the dead, small and great. And by small and great, he means those who uh, nobody ever knew about, uh, you know, in the whole world. And then those who were so famous, everybody knows. Or those who had power, those, it doesn't matter. He says, everybody, they're all headed for this judgment. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. He is the judge. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their, what's the word? Works. By the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. The, the, the place of the dead. And they were judged, each one, according to his What's it say? What's his works? All right, well, what do we mean by, by works? When the Bible talks about works, I mean, we think about work, going to work or doing, but when the Bible's talking about works, it's really talking about all the things that we do in our lives. What do we do? That is what it means when it talks about our works. What is it? It means what do I do when I get up in the morning? Those are my works. What does it mean when I head to work? To work. <laughs> Those are my works. What does it mean when I come home from work and make my choices about what? Those are my works. Whether it's, it's something I'm doing for Christ or something I'm doing for myself or whatever. Our works, how we have lived our lives. Now, if the Bible says something once, how important is it? It's important, isn't it? If God has put in his word, it is important. What if he says it twice? We ought to pay attention. What if he says it twice in the space of two verses? I mean, why did he need to say it again? Didn't he already say it? He said it again to make us understand and to get our attention on it. He says that at this judgment, we will be judged on the basis of our works, how we have lived our lives, those choices that we have made to do or to not do, uh, the choices we made about how to do something or how not to do, all of those things. And we already saw that we have what? For all have sinned, and what? Fall short. 
And so these books are open. And so you, you look at your life. They look at my life. Let's say looking at Walt's life. If, if, if I was at this judgment and he is going to go through and say, okay, look, here, you know, here's how you lived your life. And yep, here's where you fell short. And here's where you fell short. And here's where you fell short. And you, okay, can we stop? No, here's where you fell short. Right? And it will show repeatedly that we have fallen short. And that, that leaves us in a bad place, doesn't it? How can we fix that? What can we do to fix that? Now, there are a lot of people, and maybe some of you here today, maybe some of you watching. There are a lot of people who have an awareness in their life that they have sinned. They have an awareness that they fall short of what God wants in their life. And so what do they do in this life? They try to do good things to make up for that, right? Have you ever done that with anybody? You actually... you. Fr- any of you guys ever forgotten a birthday or an anniversary and then tried to make up for it? So people do that in life. They try to make up for it. They try to figure somehow, if I can just get in my life, right, this scale to, to, to balance in the direction of good, good works, I've done more good than I've done bad. Well, the problem is that there's no scales. The only scale we get measured on is God's glory, right? And we come up short. And so the Bible is really clear. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans 3.20. He says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh, no human being will be justified in God's sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And we're talking here the law. It's, it's what, when he's talking to Jewish people, he's talking specifically about the law of Moses. But it's a bigger sense for all of us. The law is what God says is right. The law is about what God says is wrong. And what the law tells us and shows us is that we have not measured up. That's what it does. And so it's very clear. Will anybody stand at this judgment and being judged on the basis of their works, I was perfect, I made it. Nobody, right? Nobody is going to do that. In the Old Testament, the prophets tried to capture uh, our, our situation before God. And the prophet Isaiah says this. He says, but we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. And when you go study, what does he mean by filthy rags? There's some difference of opinion. And I'll share with you the one that I feel comfortable talking with you about. And that is that lepers who had leprosy and then they would get injured, they would get infected, you know, they would have open sores on them and they would not be allowed just to come into the city, you know, a walled city. And so that is, they had had claws outside of those city gates that when they came, they had to take and wipe off the the sores and, you know, the pus from the infections and, and probably some of their flesh because of the way that was. And he says, our righteousness, the best that we can do when you put it before God is like those filthy, leprous rags. We're in a world of hurt, aren't we? I mean, it's, it's like when I was a kid. My dad was a, a Marine Corps pilot, fighter jet pilot. And I wanted to fly too. But I wasn't interested in having an airplane. 
I wanted to fly. You know what I mean? By myself. I wanted to fly. And I would get in the swings that we had and I would figure out, I'd swing on my stomach and then go, I remember that more than once. I wanted to fly on my own strength, but it's never going to happen, is it? Doesn't matter how much I wanted to, it, it is out of reach, at least in this time in the world. Um, and so if I say I want to somehow rather figure out how to get myself right with God, using my wisdom, my ways, my works, my efforts, just like I can never fly, it'll never happen. It'll never happen. So what's the result? Well, let's go back to Revelation 20 here. Go to verse 14. Then death and Hades, and remember this is the place where the, those who have died have come from and stood before this judgment. So he's talking about all these people who have already died. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so if you and I stand before God, being judged on the basis of our works, how we have lived our lives, this will be our destiny. That's a hard thing, isn't it? I'd rather not have to tell you that today. But God says it. And so we are in a world of hurt. What hope is there? Turn to Romans 6, 23 again. We're talking about the gospel now. What hope is there? The gospel. Romans 6. And I can get choked up about this. I am. About this good message. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. That is what we have earned. But, don't you love that word? After the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the gospel starts off with that God wants to give us eternal life. We deserve eternal condemnation. He wants to give us eternal life. As you know this verse, but read it with me. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. What did he do? Excuse me, I'm interrupting you while you're reading. He did what? Yeah, see, he wants to give us this gift. And how did he do it? He gave his son. So read it with me again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He wants to give us eternal life. Now, turn to uh, just one chapter back to chapter 5. Good news. I, when I talk to people uh, about the gospel, people who need to know the Lord, and then they, they say, well, I can't become a Christian because I got these things in my life that, that aren't Christian, you know? I, I have to, I, I, let me work on this. I need to improve, and then I can become a follower of Christ. Doesn't work that way. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says, for when we were still without strength, talking about spiritual strength, no ability to fix our problem. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the whom? 
the ungodly, not the godly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is nothing that you and I have to do to improve any works we have to do, anything we have to stop in order to be able to receive Christ's payment for our sins. It's like this, you know, how many of you ever got a, a scam email from someone in Nigeria telling that someone died and left you $63 million? That sounded like pretty good news to me the first time I read it. And they says, all you need to do is send us $2,000 to verify your account, you know. In other words, you need to do something. Of course, it was a total scam. But it's, with God, isn't like that. he doesn't say, well, what you have to do first is this and this and this. No, 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 no. He died for us while we were still sinners. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 up here on the screen. It says, God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Let's talk about what this, this means. Uh, if, if, if you and I need reconciliation, it's because we're at odds, right? Okay, and it takes two people to be at odds, all right? There's, there's two individuals. Uh, and so to reconciliation, we have to make a determination to remove the things that keep us separated, don't we? All right, well, what this scripture is telling us that on God's side, he has removed every obstacle to be able to save us. Every obstacle. All the sins that you have committed, Jesus died and paid for them in full. He rose again from the dead. Man, he is victorious over sin. All of this is ready. And so if, if we could envision this and... Um, since Jesus already taken care of us, isn't quite like this, but let's envision that, that here's God and here's me and here is this mountain of sins that I have committed. That's in the way, isn't it? We can't be reconciled. But when Jesus died on this cross, died paying the penalty for my sins, he hangs there and if he finally says, what, it is finished. I've paid for all of these this obstacle is now what? Gone. And then now there's nothing standing between me and God for me to be able to be saved except me. You understand what I'm saying? It, from God's side, he is reconciled. I'm reconciled. I'm ready. I'm ready for this relationship. And then what do I have to do? We have to accept. We'll talk about that a little more. First Peter talks about this. He says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. In other words, Christ died. He who was just and pure and holy, he died for those of us who are unjust, unimpure, unholy, sinners. He died, and why did he do that? To be able to bring us to God. So let's go back to 2 Corinthians 5 again. God has reconciled, who's reconciled us himself to Jesus Christ. Now another verse. For he made him, God the Father made him Jesus, who knew no sin, 
to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus hangs here, the innocent one on the cross, and God takes all of my sin, all of your sin, all the sins of everyone in the whole world, and in essence places them on Christ, and Christ dies in the sinner's place. And why did he do that? So that God could take the righteousness of Christ and put it on us. And that's going to be important for next week, that reality. So God has paid in full. So if God has reconciled us to himself, he's, he's taken care of the whole sin problem, so sin is no longer an obstacle between us and God. The ball is in our court, isn't it? Now it's on us. The choice is ours. We have to make a choice to whether we're going to respond or not. Now, the only logical decision is to say what to God? Yes, right? Yes, I, I accept this. I believe it. I, I turn from my old ways, you know. I turn from my own way of living. My own ways is trying to solve this. And I just accept you and what you've done. I, by faith, I'm going to believe. 1 John chapter 5, toward the back of your Bible, right back close to the book of Revelation, says this, verse 11, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. We've seen that right along, right? It's a gift he's giving us. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Very clear, isn't it? Line. So here's the line. On this side, I don't have the Son, and therefore I don't have life. On the other side of this line, I do have Christ, I do have life. Well, how do we do this? How do we get Christ? Let's go to John chapter 3. We saw John 3, 16. God loved us, no one, you know, wants to save us. Uh, verse 17 says, Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. And then John 3 and verse 18 says, He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So we have this same line, don't we? On this side, condemned. No relationship with God. On this side, no longer condemned. All right? And what's the issue? The last phrase tells us because he has not believed. It's about believing in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And when you believe in the name of someone, it means you believe in everything that the name represents and means, okay? So we're talking about whoever Jesus Christ is according to the Bible. It's about believing. Now notice this in verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned, what? Already. So don't think that you are standing here in the middle and trying to decide, do I go with God or do I go my own way? No, the reality is if you have not believed, you have not put your faith in Christ as Savior, you are on this side. You do not have eternal life. You do not have the life of God in you. You are already condemned. 
But he says, if we will believe. And so we're talking about here, and, and we, we spent the summer focusing on this idea of faith. Faith brings two things together. Do you remember what they are? Knowledge, right? Knowing something and then choosing to trust it. And so what do we know here? We've come to the point of knowing, I am a sinner. I have sinned against the holy God. There's no way I can save myself. My works, you know, will not save me. Cannot be done. All right? I know that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins and rose again. I know that he says if I will believe in that and, and trust him, receive him as Savior, that I will be saved forever. i got to make a decision to what? Say, that's for me. I trust this. I'm going with God on this. And that's that faith. And that's the decision we have to make. Let's just take just a moment here, and we've got just a little more to cover, but let's all bow our heads for just a moment. No one looking around. I just want to say, if you're here today and you're saying, wow, you know, I get that, I see that, and I don't think I've ever made that decision. I've never made that decision to, to, you know, to once and for all believe and receive this eternal life and the payment for my sins. I haven't done that, and I want to. I do want to do that. Is there anybody here like that with nobody looking around, just, just for me? Would you just raise your hand right now and say, that's what I want. I want to receive Christ like you're talking about here today. Anybody? All right. You can look back up. So I'm trusting that you all have received Christ. If you haven't, you need to talk to somebody and let's help you to make that decision. Now, here's the good news. When I finally, you finally, we're on this side, God has removed everything. We finally say, okay, God, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm turning away from all my junk, all of my ways of trying to fix this that never work, and I am coming to you and I am, I received Jesus as my Savior. I believe these things, that he died for my sins. and I receive it for me. I'm, I'm taking that knowledge and making that trust decision. The scripture tells you this. 1 John 5, 13. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you, so that, read those three big letter words, so that you may know you have eternal life. Settled, done deal. Turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 5, a couple pages over probably from where you were before. John 5 and verse 24. Jesus said this, Most assuredly I say to you that he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Okay, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? But get this next phrase, and shall not come into judgment, but, here's what I want you to see, has passed from death into life. Done deal, right? Has passed. Man, I think about this, I think about this morning, actually last night, some, I guess, you know, and I just gotta do this, okay? It was also because of the conversation I had with somebody, you know. I have passed from death into life. Have you? April 4th, 1975, between 9 and 10 o'clock at night, I don't know exactly, but I received Jesus as Savior. I passed from death into life. And it's like, ha, 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 Right? Isn't that true? You may only do it inside. 
But that is something to be so excited about and so we can say, I am saved from the penalty of sin. In fact, we'd put that up there, Mitch, if you would, and would you guys say it with me? I am saved from the penalty of sin. I absolutely am. And this is usually what we mean when we say, I am saved. This is the gospel we're talking about. And we said we pass from death into life. This is the event. Now we've passed from death unto life. And the gospel of your salvation has something to say about that. We'll look at that next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you have done for us in your son. This gospel so undeserved. You loved us. You know we couldn't fix our own problems. You fixed it. I do pray, Father, for each of us that, that do know you, that you would just fill our hearts with this this week, that we are saved. We're saved from the penalty of sin. We are saved forever. We are saved into a relationship with you. We have passed from death into life. Stir our hearts with that, Father. Use it to challenge us about decisions we're making and how we're living our lives. Oh God, we can never say thank you enough. In all of eternity, we won't be able to. But we say thank you anyway. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.